You're listening to Podnosis, the pulse of the healthcare industry. I'm Ayla Ellison. In the ever-evolving world of healthcare, digital apps and interfaces have firmly established themselves as indispensable tools. They come bearing the promises of efficiency, convenience, and a dash of equity. There's ample opportunity to enhance the user-friendliness of most of these tools. However, it's important to recognize that innovation is still very much in progress. Consider, for instance, the prospect of employing video game training to bridge the gaps inherent in conventional medical education. That's already possible, according to Sam Glassenberg, the founder and CEO of Level X, a company in medical education video games. He joins Fierce Healthcare's Dave Moyo in this episode. They explore how well-designed health technology can captivate users' minds and revolutionize the way medical knowledge is conveyed. Here they are. Hey, Sam. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for taking time to speak with us today. Thanks for having me. You have a very interesting background in terms of experience with commercial traditional game design. And now, as the head of Level X, you're making educational video games specifically for physicians. I want to talk to you a bit about some of the more generalizable components of that work. Digital health, digital applications are all over the healthcare ecosystem today. And sometimes you have to lead a horse to water a little bit in getting people in an organization to really dig their teeth and use the benefits that these products and applications can have for a lot of healthcare delivery. Can you talk a little bit about the design component of that and maybe ways that an organization that's putting together these types of products and uh, solutions in place for their teams can rely on? Yeah. So in the video games industry over the last 30 years, we've basically distilled the neurochemical recipe for changing behavior and driving learning among basically any audience. And we've been testing it on 3 billion unwitting test subjects. Game designers have essentially figured out how do you hit the perfect balance of reward and frustration, challenge and skill to maximize the release of certain neurochemicals in the brain at the optimal frequency to literally drive behavior change and learning. These tools are incredibly effective. We've been using them in video games to engage billions of people and grow the industry to be one that is now larger than the movie business, larger than the music business. But you can apply these same techniques any in any domain where someone needs to develop a mental model for a complex system or where you're trying to change behavior. You say uh, there are tens of millions of Americans who can name 40 Pokemon characters uh, and give you their backstory, but can't show you where Switzerland is on the map. You're welcome, right? This is because games are incredibly effective at training, at education as an indirect consequence of play. Uh, And what we do at Level X is we instead make that a direct consequence. So we use the neuroscience of video games to help accelerate the adoption curve in healthcare, teaching doctors how to better diagnose, how to better treat, how to use new devices, how to master new techniques, all using the neuroscience of games. That's very specifically an education goal. 
And obviously there are countless ways that teaching people more efficiently could be beneficial within healthcare. But can that same type of engagement and those strategies that you're describing, just purely adoption, not even focused on teaching your people something, but just getting them to use something that there might be some initial resistance to coming on board with? These techniques are universal. This is the human brain has evolved to learn through play. I'll, I'll give you an example. You've, Dave, you've played Angry Birds, I assume, right? Once or twice. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have you ever wondered why Angry Birds is so addictive? Why people are still playing this game 10 years after it came out? I, I was on the plane the other day and people were still playing it. It's evolutionary. Our brain has evolved to play these games. And what do I mean by that? Well, I want you to think back, Dave, to the first time you played Angry Birds. What happened? It's a physics puzzle. It's teaching your brain how to predict parabolic flight. So think back the first time you played Angry Birds. Angry Bird hopped in the slingshot. You aimed at the Tower of Pigs. You fired. What happened that first time you played? You missed. And you'll remember the piggies laughed at you. Why? Why did they laugh at you? It made you frustrated. Second bird hops in, you aim a little better, you fire, you get closer to the tower, but you still miss. You get more frustrated. Third bird hops in, you aim better, you fire, and it's glorious. The tower falls, the pigs go flying, there's visual effects, animations, the music changes. All of this was deliberately designed to trigger a dopamine release in your brain that physically reinforces those neural connections that you used on the last successful fire. This is why two hours later, you're firing that bird between two narrow obstacles at 50 yards, and why 80 hours later, you're still having fun playing the game. We, we didn't invent this neural mechanic in the video games business. It's existed in the mammalian neuron for tens of millions of years. This is how our ancestors learned how to throw a spear. And so we're just leveraging these same neuromechanics that have existed in the mammalian neuron for a very long time. And we're deliberately using them to, in this case, for angry birds, help you develop a mental model of parabolic flight. But you can use the same techniques to train doctors how to use a ventilator, how to do complex endoscopic navigation, how to diagnose a rare disease. And these can be used in almost any other domain where somebody needs to understand how a system works. Maybe to play a little bit of devil's advocate. To me, it sounds like you outlined two thesis tools there. One is the presentation. Obviously, if you design something to be, in Angry Birds case, colorful, but appealing in some respect and have visual feedbacks that are engaging, obviously, I think that's something that a lot of app developers or digital health product makers can obviously snap onto and relate to. The other component is frustration as a tool. Do you think that might be a little bit tricky? A lot of the discussion that we have a lot of times talking about the physician workforce, for instance, but the healthcare workforce in general, burnout, they have their own frustrations in their day-to-day -day work. Is it not a little bit dicey to start layering another source of frustration on top of that? Oh, hold, yeah, absolutely not. If you're designing, let's say, an EHR or any tool that is going to be used, you need to minimize friction, minimize challenge, minimize frustration. The scenario that we're talking about here is when we're training somebody how to handle a challenge that otherwise will be very daunting. And when they face that challenge, they're going to be facing it in a scenario where they don't have support, their 
potentially dealing with it on a live human being. And so for that, what we want to do is create the challenge to maximize learning in the learning environment. But when you're in the actual, call it the real world environment, then the goal should entirely be how do you minimize challenge? There, yes, you want to maximize reward within reason when you're creating things like tutorials and whatnot. But I want to very much differentiate here we're creating a game to help you learn something as opposed to creating the thing, the product, the tool itself. Gotcha. Using that EHR example again, align the sand between maybe some of what you're describing could be useful for the onboarding process of teaching someone how to use new components of the interface if there's a version update to the EHR, let's say, or they haven't seen an EHR before versus their day-to-day, they're punching in their information completely frictionless, correct? I'm, I'm imagining an example like, you know, an EHR system would probably want to, if you've ever seen someone who's the master of it, they know all the hotkeys, right? They know all the shortcuts, which are really difficult to memorize. And so you can imagine if you wanted to, and I'm not necessarily advocating for this, you could theoretically make a game that teaches you how to do those hotkeys and shortcuts where you're in fake scenarios, but you're racing. It's a race and you're timed and you're potentially competing against your colleagues. But I think when it comes to EHRs, the real work that needs to happen is not in the training. It's in actually designing the EHR with the user in mind. Today, I can order a, a lift on my phone by moving my thumb the minimal possible distance with the fewest possible taps, and I can order a car to pick me up at my office. But I can I watch doctors move their mouse for miles while they do these repetitive tasks in these EHRs with user interfaces from the 90s. And so I think when it comes to EHR world, there's a tremendous amount that can be learned, not just from games, but from the entire consumer application space of UI and UX best practices that should be put in place. I have to imagine somebody at Epic somewhere definitely thought about that hotkey learning game idea you just, there might be something there. Diagnosing a difficult patient is fundamentally difficult, right? There are certain Mm -hmm. surgical procedures where even with great devices, they're still complex. There are still things that can go wrong. I feel like solving the EHR problem by making games to train you how to use them better when there is just so much that could be done to improve the EHR. If I was putting a, UA, a really talented UX person on it, I would have them fix the EHR and not make the game as a workaround. What I'm very interested to hear your thoughts about, how video games can alleviate racial disparities in healthcare. Is this something that's similarly learning from the consumer side, or is this something that you think that is really a missed opportunity that the healthcare industry was facing these challenges needs to dive on? So this is an example where we're not only applying the design of video games to solve or to address the problem. We're also using the technology of video games. I think one of the things that we consistently see in healthcare is that technology, more often than not, it is increasing racial disparities in healthcare by, for example, we're constantly hearing stories of AI systems to diagnose disease, to diagnose skin disease, for example, doesn't work on darker skin tones, or we're hearing stories about pulse oximeters that don't work on, on people with, with darker skin tones. And so we see all these examples of great new technologies coming out, but they exacerbate racial disparities in healthcare. And one of the examples that we've been tackling at Level X is it, it's well known that people of color do not get the same outcomes when they go to the dermatologist. 
And it's not because it's not out of malice. It's simply because your dermatologist has not seen enough patients with your skin tone to recognize your rare skin disease at your severity or understand how well it's progressing with treatment. As Level X, we make video games for medical training. Dermatologists reported this problem. And so we said, great, we'll make a video game to help train your brain, like we talked about mental models, to help train your brain how to recognize these skin diseases on different skin tones. And so we said, great, we'll go and pull content from the reference material, from textbooks and whatnot, that we can use for content in the game. And what we discovered is part of what's exacerbating this problem is when you open up the textbooks, very, very few examples in these textbooks actually show skin of color. 90 some percent in many cases is all on Caucasian skin tones. And so what we realized is we were going to need to actually generate the skin ourselves, luckily the virtual skin. Luckily, the video games industry, again, over the last few decades, has gotten exceedingly good at simulating skin. And we've been doing it to make video game characters look more real. This is part of one of the major initiatives that my team in DirectX had when I was uh, leading the DirectX graphics team at Microsoft. How do we make video game characters look real? And so what we've done at Level X is we've used, we've built on top of video game skin technology to create systems that allow us to generate artificially, any skin disease on any part of the body, on skin of any color, under any lighting environment. And so we've been using that to create games like, for example, our Top Derm game, where dermatologists can just download the game, and then on their phone, they can train their brain how to recognize these diseases on different skin tones and earn CME credit while they do it. So this is an example of using video game technology, and we're able to create virtual skin that looks so real, in many cases, the dermatologist can't tell the difference between that and reality. And we're able to do it across, like I said, any skin tone and any lighting environment. So you can simulate what does this look like under a dermatoscope in the clinic versus what does it look like over telehealth where you know somebody might be taking a bad photo with a five-year-old iPhone with the flash turned off. And what does that skin disease look like, again, on a range of skin tones? So if I was to distill that down a little bit, it seems like it's a combination of increased opportunity to address what is normally a less prevalent demographics issues, as well as the ability to generate material that can then be used for that training. Exactly. So we're able to use the technology of games to recreate visually whatever needs to be recreated. And then we're using the the neuroscience-based design of video games to help people develop mental models, change behavior, and overcome biases. There are all sorts of misunderstandings and biases that exist in medicine that don't reflect the reality that are measured in clinical studies. And so how do you disseminate guidelines or accurate knowledge? We can use video games where you you treat a series of virtual patients and we're able to trigger recency bias. We're able to train your brain to overcome whatever those biases might be. You answered the question I was about to get into because your initial example was so visually focused, which obviously is a point of strength for video games. It's a very visually incorporated medium. Your second example is of focusing on MS is very interesting to me because then it speaks to the core knowledge in particular and using video games as a medium to surface that knowledge, not specifically giving visual examples, but really pushing something more abstract, but still using that same medium to present that information. 
Exactly. The obvious applications of games that everyone jumps to are surgery. And those applications are real, but the more interesting ones are purely cognitive. When we think about diagnosing a rare disease or complex patient, that's a puzzle game. You're often doing that by not looking at anything but test results. And so there, there have been attempts in the past to gamify diagnosis. I'm doing air quotes here, which are usually, oh, here are the test results, multiple choice. What do you think the patient has? This doesn't exercise your reductive reasoning skills. At level X, we've used the neuroscience of game design to develop games, deductive reasoning puzzles for a diagnosis, for example, where you have to order the right tests, ask the right questions, and do it in the optimal sequence to not only figure out what the patient has, but eliminate the other differential diagnoses and do it as efficiently as possible. So in these cases, you're not, there's really nothing visual. We put up some you know, cool visual effects to, again, maximize reward and maximize challenge. But practically speaking, you're playing that entire game. You never look at a patient. Thank you for listening to Podnosis. I'm Ayla Ellison. You can find out more about this topic in our show notes at FierceHealthcare.com. Look for podcasts. And don't forget to tune in every Wednesday morning to Podnosis, where healthcare is our beat.